0: to the New Mexico Motorsports Report, presented by Gearwood Performance, Albuquerque Dragway, the Unser Racing Museum, and Swope Real Estate. Your host, David Swope, will be talking about events happening around the state and on the national scene, whether it's got two wheels or four wheels, pavement and off-road racing, or park and shine. If you are into it, we are into it. Call now, 994-1017. That's 994-1017 to get into all the action. Now, here is your host, David Swope.
1: Good morning. It's Saturday morning. That means it's time for the New Mexico Motorsports Report. I'm your host, David Swope, and we'll be talking about automotive and related motorsports activities around the state and on the national scene. Whether it has two wheels or four, asphalt or dirt track racing, off-road or parking shine, we'll be talking about it. It's New Mexico's only show devoted to motorsports-related activities with a full hour here on ESPN Radio 101.7, the team. And, uh, of course, uh, we're going to start off the show um, with the passing on uh, Thursday. Uh, Alan Unzer senior um, who's come to uh, uh, cancer after a uh, an extensive uh, battle um, and uh, really uh, sad to hear uh, went down to the museum yesterday uh, Bob Brown's gonna be catching up with us a little later in the show we're gonna have a couple of uh, in a couple of snippets from uh, various interviews that I did. Uh, With Al, but wanted to start off with uh, uh, just playing uh, uh, something from the uh, NTT, uh, the NTT IndyCar series, uh, some comments that he'd had um, on his career.
2: It's just the greatest feeling you can ever imagine that you have accomplished something that, that you've dreamed about of just being at Indianapolis, and all of a sudden, there you are you have won the race you've beaten the very best there is you've dominated the race all day it was our day there wasn't anything that i couldn't do i led 190 laps i mean that's an awful lot of laps to lead around here <laughs>
1: 190 out of 200 laps uh, that might be the biggest understatement um of the century but uh your uh, senior uh for those of you who got to spend any time uh, around him or even went to the museum I mean you could you could actually run into him at the museum he'd sit there he'd tell you stories uh and you know one of the quieter of of the uh of the unzer family of course uh Bobby you know having a career lost him back in may uh, having a career in announcing as well so uh Bobby was known for uh, uh stretching the truth sometimes uh, being a little controversial uh but uh but losing Al at 82. It's uh, tough to deal with. Of course, uh, my very first interview on my very first show for the New Mexico Motorsports Report here on ESPN Radio uh, was with Big Al. And so it definitely was uh, a tough loss uh, for me. I was I, I was quite surprised, um, but uh, at the same time, uh, great to have been in his presence for as many years Uh, as i could and so it seems almost appropriate that we're going to go to the Unser racing museum event calendar uh to find out what's going on so uh good morning rj uh how you doing man morning dave uh with everything going on man i mean other than the weather getting a little cool out there doing pretty good i'm sorry that is the second uh statement of the day that might be an understatement dude it was 18 degrees this morning, uh when I went to pick up Dan on the way out here, gosh,
2: man, it, it it it's gonna get
1: us for sure, and it's gonna affect the car shows a little bit,
2: where it's starting to dwindle down due to the end of the year. But hey, there's still some great stuff out there, especially, uh yeah, yeah, going out, out here in New Mexico.
1: Yeah let let's get let's get right to it. Let's get to talking about. uh uh, you know, a couple of tracks that are actually doing Christmas displays. Let, let's let start out at Sandia Speedway, man.
2: Yeah, Sandia, they have one of the, I mean, best known ones it seems like in the world, actually, especially on the West Coast. I mean, the Lights of Enchantment is really such an amazing event. It's the premier Southwest drive through Christmas light show that features 350 light displays with a million different points of light, and it pretty much they just have so many people go through it's such an amazing event and they're doing this lot thing with community first program where pretty much people come out and wherever they host the city they do a function back and help a lot of the charities and of course the location that's held this year being in albuquerque of course where oh. they seem to be every year and just great thing to kind of see you could buy your tickets online and naturally they gave us a 20 uh discount on tickets if do cool. lights 20 on the hold dot so just a cool little thing to go out there please go support such an amazing event i mean that is really a spectacle for anyone to see even if you aren't yet in the christmas spirit one thing the cold's gonna get you and then these lights are just an amazing thing to see
1: all right, coupon code lights twenty get you twenty percent off. So, uh, uh, don't say that we didn't give you anything for Christmas out there. Try to, man.
2: Come on. <laughs> okay,
1: let let's let's go down south, Vado. Uh, that's just a a, a three minute, a three hour and fifteen minute drive. <laughs> Yeah,
2: I mean, y'all did it just a few weeks ago. And you know what? I mean, to see the facility, uh, see how much they put into these amazing races, and now seeing that they're doing these uh, Christmas uh, Village holiday light displays is just going to be amazing thing to see. So they've been having it, they're going to have it pretty much. The first three weekends of December, so this one, the second week, they're going to do the 9th through the 11th. They're going to be the holiday inflatable displays, holiday music, s'mores, campfires. It's going to be from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. Uh, Friday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And you can see Santa on Thursday, the Grinch on Fridays, and Buddy the Elf is going to be there tonight on Saturday.
1: Well, I, I saw it on Facebook the other day. I mean, it, it was the Grinch, man. I mean, that was that uh, that was that was definitely uh, uh, definitely serious. Uh, all right, so I, hey, I want to give a shout out. Uh, this was on uh, Facebook. The Aztec Track meeting and swap meet is today at two p.m. Uh, just a, a shout out to the Aztec Track there. Uh, the meeting's going to be at the San Juan Diesel, uh, the um, San Juan Diesel area. You know, department. There we go. I don't know. I, I don't know what I wrote down. I wrote part diesel part. That made no sense. So I meant department. Anyway, I I interrupted you. You were uh, were getting ready to talk about car shows. Yeah, David. No, we always talk (laughs) about some
2: amazing events. And today, the only one that I have planned that's going on today is going to be that toy train swap meet that they have where they're going to buy, sell, and trade all these amazing things. Hey, it has wheels, man. we got to talk about it. Absolutely. So it's the the Netherwood Parks uh, Church of Christ, which is on Indian School in San Mateo. It's going to be from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m., so right after our show. And there's going to be operating train layouts, raffle drawings, every 30 minutes from 10 to 1. So go out there, just a little something different, and, hey, enjoy some cool trains.
1: Hey, the ADDs just set in. So did you see that story about the guy that built the uh, train track? Uh, in his basement, uh, it was like the, the world's longest train track, um, and his his wife-slash-girlfriend knew nothing about it.
2: I, I did, actually, <laughs> laughing about that. It's like, man, that's something to hide, especially if it has the whistle and everything. You can't hide that thing. Yeah, Come that's on.
1: exactly. I was like, okay, that's... that's uh, One, a guy with a train set probably doesn't have a girlfriend or a wife, right? I'm doing nothing, honey. It's fine. <laughs> I was like, oh, gosh. All right, so the guys at Netherwood Park now are going to come up here. Uh, Netherwood Park Church can come up here and uh, beat me up after that comment. Hey, All right. Show. We're good. Hey, what about the, the Wheels of Hope for Cancer uh, Benefit? I think that's tomorrow. Yeah,
2: so tomorrow there's a few events. And tomorrow, December 12th, it's Wheel of Hope, the Wheels of Hope Cancer Benefit Car Show at the Malloy Dodge. It's going to be from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., where there will be awards for seven different categories, including... A, for the kiddos and prize raffles, they're going to have uh, food trucks on site. They're going to have a bunch of these uh, different people uh, having hof- coffee, hot chocolate. They're going to have wings out there. And it's just such an amazing co- cause that they have out there. They have a bunch of great sponsors where these raffle, these prizes are actually going to be pretty darn good out there. So go out there, support a great cause at Molloy Dodge, and it's just a fun event where everyone could
1: celebrate. Hey, did we ever Google who the sugar bees are? I didn't because they're they're providing hot chocolate. I'm thinking, uh, I'm thinking we we need to figure that one out. Hey, they'll
2: come out studio. We'll figure it out one time. No (laughs) problem.
1: Okay. All right. So we have arts and crafts fair tomorrow too for the uh, and a lowrider car show.
2: Yeah. So this one it was kind of you know kind of a last thing where I found and seems like an amazing event where it's going to be from twelve to five. It's at the the club Lumina and Velarde, New Mexico, and it's pretty much it's a. There's going to be, it's in honor of Our Lady of Guadalupe, what they have out there. So it's going to be a great, full, fun event that they have. It's going to be from 12 to 5, where all vendors are welcome. There's going to be jumpers for kids, the Lowrider Card Show, a great food sale that they have going out. And just something where it's going to, you know, support the community, have a great time, and out there they're going to have some fun time especially the low rider community you always got to have fun out there because they will not you don't just see the cars you see them bounce you see them <laughs> kind of do a few things where it's like man you, you you want to see them in action and they're going to do a lot of it out at the arts and crafts show and low rider show
1: awesome well we've got a couple more for next week but we're going to have to save that uh because on the other side we're going to be talking with uh tom mckeon uh with espn uh he's a producer for uh 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 for Sports Center. God, man, brain is just awful today. So uh, we're going to talk about it on the other side because uh, going down to the wire, final race of the year, Formula One, uh y mono, equal in points. So it's winner takes be all, man. Winner it's takes what all. what we want to see. All right. You've been listening to the New Mexico Motorsports Report here on ESPN Radio 1017. The team. All
3: right. This is Al four time winner of the Indy 500. You've been listening to David
0: Swope for the New Mexico Motorsport Report on ESPN Radio 1017. The team. The pit stop is over. Let's return to the New Mexico Motorsports Report on Facebook and at NMMotorsportsReport.com. Now, back to the New Mexico Motorsports Report, presented by Gearwood Performance, Albuquerque Dragway, the Unser Racing Museum, and Swope Real Estate. Here is David.
1: All right, welcome back to the New Mexico Motorsports Report here on ESPN Radio 1017, the team, and of course, uh, I had a liner there from Al Sr. uh, passing yesterday, but you know, I'm sure Al would want us to keep going. Uh, There's a race going on this weekend, um, and we got to talk about it. As a matter of fact, I I haven't seen the end of qualifying, so I'm going to have to start start out by asking Tom McKeon, hey, who do we got starting on the poll, man?
4: Okay, well, I'm going to spoil it for you. We got (laughs) Max on the poll. Lewis starting opposite him on the front row, but the key here is Max is on the soft tires, Lewis is on the medium. So, going to be a ton of tire talk tomorrow in terms of strategy and what these guys are going to do. Soft tires haven't really worked well all year at most of these places. We've seen teams try to avoid them, so that's what's going to be really interesting.
1: Well, absolutely, uh, reconfiguration on the track as well. Uh, a little bit, a uh, little bit faster track now, so that might even be more of a problem being on the soft, pound, uh, soft compound tires.
4: Yeah, it could, be a little, it could be a little rough on it because a little lap time is going to be like 10, 15 seconds quicker. It's probably going to be more demanding on the tire. I really like the changes they're making, though, because Abu Dhabi's always been kind of a snooze fest. Like, it just hasn't <laughs> been great racing there. Maybe this turn they revamped without the chicane to set up that really long straight. Can carry some more speed now. Maybe we'll see some classic Max and Lewis battling
1: there. Well, I was going to say Hamilton loves the fact that it's a snooze fest. Uh, he's had uh, a lot of success there, but uh, the prelude setting up to this. Well, that that also means that Max has got an extra point, so Max now ac- actually has the points lead uh, going into this. But last weekend, uh, the craziest Formula One race I think I've ever seen. Uh, definitely have ever you know watched in a while. Uh, we got to break some of that thing down. Let let let's start with the the phantom brake check, or was it a brake check? What What are your thoughts on that, Tom?
4: Yeah, I I think it was a brake check. And I know I've been saying this all year. Um, oh, this is the craziest race I've ever seen. This really does <laughs> take the honors for me. I you know I think I think Hamilton's confusion was understandable. There have been so many virtual safety cars up to that period. It could have been in his mind, like. Why is he slowing down? There could easily be another one, but the way that track's set up, it's natural. Those are going to happen a ton. And when we see drivers give position away, a lot of times on the straight, it's it's pretty jarring if they throw on the brakes because you, they lose so much momentum as well. And they're just going to let off the gas, let the guy pass you, and then you still have... We saw it again with Max later towards the end of that long straight. He let up a little bit, set Lewis up, and then tried to get by him quickly. This way... The way he did it, um, off the penalty, he, he was he was basically just um, throwing the brakes there, and it was Lewis was really close to him, so it was it was really bizarre to see, and I'm not sure why he he hit the brakes in that instance.
1: Yeah, you know, and but there was a lot going on in that race, a lot of gamesmanship. Uh, I mean, two red flags, uh, two other uh, standing restarts, uh, just all kinds of things. Of course. You know, when uh, Max gave the position back and then, of course, immediately overtook him as well um, later in the race. Just a lot of things going on. I-, I was just curious, in your opinion, does it look like Max is starting to feel the pressure a little bit? Because uh, there-, there was some very uncharacteristic things that happened, and, and the old master played him like a fiddle. And that's Hamilton played him like a fiddle last weekend.
4: I think this is more of a veteran like Hamilton. And look, Max is a veteran, too. This is like his eighth season. So we always think of him. He's he's still young, but he's been in the sport for a while. But Hamilton is a master at playing to your weaknesses. And one of the things Max does, his driving style is just very unconventional for a lot of other drivers. Hamilton said it many times this year. He finds Max's style dangerous. He's like, this guy's crazy, man. (laughs) So I think if he can take advantage of that in certain situations, he's going to. Um, I, I think he was just trying to survive that race. I, I think this is just Max's, this is the way he just drives. He just knows, like, it's the only way he knows how to. We saw when, we came, when he came up in the sport, he would have some moments that were pretty wild, 17, 18-year-old. Um, one that stands out is going to that first turn in Monaco, that big crash when he was really young, um, and, and making some of those mistakes, which you're naturally going to do. Now that he's a veteran and he's, He's he's just going to be a very aggressive driver and and I think um it could play out here too because you know that scenario is the concern of like, well, um Max really doesn't you know, Max could could wreck Lewis in a, in a slow corner, could get into a collision and right. you know, nothing that's gonna hurt either driver but is gonna take someone out of the race. But then Michael Massey comes along and says, Yeah, that's if that happens uh, just a reminder, we could take away as many points as, <laughs> right. basically as we want. So it seems like if one's just kind of making it up as they go along with some of this stuff, <laughs> I understand it's really tough in some of these situations because every situation is different. Every turn's different, but Brazil kind of set that all up with Max kind of washing him from the outside on that turn. Both of them go wide, no penalties for, for Max there. And that kind of sets a precedent going forward of, well, Hey, this happened here. Why should it not happen here?
1: Absolutely. You talk about, uh, Michael Massey, and I think that's this is another thing we wanted to talk about um, because this is where NASCAR, IndyCar, all the other forms of racing uh, start to make fun of Formula One. It's like, you know, it's all of these guys talking. It's all of this talk. I mean, where's this race? You know, I mean, settle it on the course. And, of course, uh, Michael Massey coming on, and they were basically having dialogue uh, about, you know, how they were trying to handle some of these situations without the stewards getting involved. I mean, what is that about?
4: Yeah, I was texting my friends. I'm like, "This is like, let's make a deal or something." Exactly. It, it sounded it sounded weirder than it was, though. In the moment, I was like, "What's going on?" But then I realized it's during a red flag, so they have more time to talk about it. Yeah. I think if it was under green flag conditions and they're racing, the conversation is much quicker. Basically, give the place back, or you're overtaking it to the stewards. In this case, it's it feels like he's offering up something, but. He's really just being polite in, in the way of saying, like, hey, we have some more time to talk this out. If you don't give this place up, if you, if, if Hamilton does, if you don't let Hamilton through, we're going to take it to the stewards. So it, it came off as very weird, but, I mean, David, the best gift um, the broadcast has given us over the last year or so is finally, we've always heard the teams. but We haven't heard the FIA talk right. with teams until, like, recently, and it's yep. been amazing every time.
1: Yeah, I mean it it's the access uh is amazing. As a matter of fact, I mean they do they do such a great job uh with the, with everything there and they've made especially when you know this year was basically with the new car coming was just kind of a throwaway, you know if you will. It's just kind of like, well, let's let's see what's going to happen. Uh and you know, oh, you know, Hamilton's going to win his eighth, blah blah blah, you know. Uh it's really been quite exciting with the team uh the team battles as well.
4: Johnny Herbert just came out and said hey, this is probably the greatest title battle he's ever seen. I kind of have to agree with him. And especially when you, you, you bring up the beginning of the season, there were no expectations for anything other than a Mercedes romp because they, if you remember last winter, they limited what you could change in the car. There wasn't a lot of changes you could make. So everyone's thinking, all right, Mercedes is probably going to run away with this once again. And right out of the gates in Bahrain, it was an amazing back and forth between Lewis and Max and has not let up the entire time. You think about every great moment, not only Saudi Arabia, but you think of Brazil and you think of Silverstone and you think of um you know all these other like Monza, all these other great moments between the two there's so many things it's It's tough to even make a top five of the moments between these two this year we haven 't even got to the finale yet um it's been pretty wild and and i i can't wait to see it play out tomorrow, not only two with some of the um midfield teams too. Like Ferrari's had really come on strong lately. Um they're looking to finish third and really carry some some weight going into the next year. So it's it's really exciting. We couldn't have asked for anything better.
1: Absolutely. So I know you have a behind the scenes look there being at being in Bristol, uh Bristol, Connecticut at the home ESPN. I got to ask you, I mean, with all the shuffling and everything, what have you been up to? I mean, are are, are you back to producing with SportsCenter? What what you been doing, man?
4: I am, yeah. I'm back to early mornings. I was like late nights helping out, overseeing highlights. I'm back to early mornings on the seven a.m. Sports Center. So, what I'm going to be doing tomorrow from the eight to nine o'clock hour in the control room is be wildly distracted with the show at hand and be <laughs> watching Formula One. So, if you see things going haywire over on Sports Center, um, you probably know why.
1: Well, well, we're pumping our fist because you know, I mean, we we all know ESPN's ball and stick, you know, station. Uh, we've got uh, Bob Brown. He's uh, in the house right now. He's wearing a Ferrari uh, uh, pullover. So we're, we're trying to do our part, man. We're trying to keep motorsports alive on this station.
4: Oh, no doubt. And I can tell you, just just in my personal experiences, I know so many people at work now that, that are watching, that are totally into this, and drive to survive is a huge reason why. Yes. And then you, you come off and have one of the great seasons of all time. I want to tell everyone, like, hey, guys, <laughs> it's not normally like this, but, <laughs> enjoy it while while it is
1: well exactly and and definitely don't want to uh uh persuade anybody from from not watching but i I think when you've got you know liberty media uh who knows a little bit of things about production uh is involved in this thing, I think we're gonna see a lot of things of course looking forward to uh them coming to miami uh that's gonna be very exciting of course the the twenty twenty two car uh, all kinds of things for next season. So if this was the greatest season, we we really are set up for next year to be one heck of a season.
4: It's a good time to be watching. It's probably the healthiest F one's ever been. Um Bernie Ecclestone grew it to what it was, but I think it went as far as it could with Bernie at the helm. Yep. It just needed it just needed someone new in there to be pushing it even more toward um toward America, more races here. Um you know, like I said, Netflix Drive to Survive has been huge, and it's just kind of getting a younger audience base, and I think we've seen from Austin that they are accomplishing that.
1: Hey, Tom, thanks for coming on this morning, and I want to wish you a happy holiday. You too, buddy. All right. That was uh, Tom McKeon, uh, producer with SportsCenter um, in the early morning, of course, uh, was with uh, Formula One's coverage on ESPN.com uh, as well, but... We've got a whole lot more coming up, including we're going to talk some more. um, Al Unzer, Uh, in-house the is Bob Brown, and he's going to share some of his insight and stories. And, of course, uh, in his uh, retirement, he's been spending a lot of time over at the Unzer Museum as well. You've been listening to the New Mexico Motorsports Report here on ESPN Radio. 101.7, the team. Hey, race fans. This is NASCAR team owner, Coach Joe Gibbs. You're
4: listening to David Swope. On New Mexico Motorsports Report, on ESPN Radio, 101.7 The
2: This is Al four-time winner of the Indy 500. You've been listening to David
0: Schultz for the New Mexico Motorsport Report on ESPN Radio 1017. The team. The pit stop is over. Let's return to the New Mexico Motorsports Report on Facebook and at nmmotorsportsreport.com. Now, back to the New Mexico Motorsports Report, presented by Yearwood Performance, Albuquerque Dragway, the Unser Racing Museum, and Smoke Real Estate. Here is David
1: Welcome back to the New Mexico Motorsports Report here on ESPN Radio, 101.7, the team, and, of course, uh, a huge supporter of this show since day one, first interview uh, in 2013 has been Al Unser Sr., lucky enough to interview him several times. Uh, I wanted to pull out this gem from 2014, uh, in which uh, I asked Al what his favorite uh, Indianapolis moment was. Uh, revisit, what was your, uh, your favorite uh, Indy 500 uh, memory?
4: Oh, David, I think, you know, your last one is always, you know, your last win. And under the circumstances that uh, that all happened that year, it still, you know, it sticks in my mind and everybody's mind that, that uh, I go there without a ride and end up winning the race. It, it uh, you know, it, it's really remarkable. I wish my luck was that good every year.
1: Yeah, so uh, of course the the backstory on that was uh, it wasn't really in the race. Uh, came uh, up to the race, in, and Roger reached out and said, "Hey, uh, you want to jump in and drive?" So joining us now uh, is Bob Brown, and Bob, I, I heard you actually telling this story yesterday. So yeah. why, why don't you clean up my uh, 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 my, <laughs> the my rest explanation of the story? Yeah.
3: <laughs> okay, so before the season, Penske goes to Big Al and says, "Hey, I'm sorry, but you know, basically, you're 47." And you're getting a little old. It's time to probably go out to pasture, okay? So it's time to retire, Al. And besides, I've got a new driver who's showing up with a boatload of money. And you know how racing works. These drivers, I mean, they show up with money, and you can get a seat. You can buy a seat, right? Yeah. We see it all the time. And so uh, he tells Al, sorry, I'm going with Danny and Gaius. He's a young driver. He's coming in. He's going to be my guy. So you're out of luck. And Big Al's like, you know, class guy. He understands how it works fine. Well, he's at Indy, and he's there to help Junior qualify. Junior doesn't get in on the first weekend. He's there that week, and that week, Danny Angais crashes, okay? He's trying to qualify, but he crashes in practice. He's got a concussion. He's through the concussion protocol, not going to be able to get back on the track to try to qualify, so Penske, hat in hand, goes to Big Al and says, you know, I know I said you were 47, probably a little too old and everything, but uh, I'm looking for a driver. Would you be willing to come back? Big Al, of course I would. Sure yeah, I would. But what am I going to drive? He crashed the race car. Well, we have last year's car. It's a show car, it's in a hotel in Reading, Pennsylvania. We'll get that car, we'll bring it to the track. Everything will be fine. Well, anybody that knows Indy racing, a year old car at the Indy 500 is going to be a lot slower because the technology advances right. every year. Something new, they get faster, better, right? Quicker, all that. Yeah, They get the car, they bring it there. Three days later, Al gets in the car, goes out and qualifies 20th. And then due to some problems with Mario Andretti, he had issues with his car. He was one of the front runners. And Roberto Guerrero stalls it coming out of the pits. It's one of those scenes where he gets halfway down the pit lane. Car won't fire. They got to roll it all the way back, fire it up. By then, he's down a lap and a half push come to shove, Al's out in front, holds on, wins his fourth Indy 500. And it's, it's really movie material. I mean, it really is such a great story of him winning that, uh, that fourth 500.
1: Absolutely. And, uh, we were over in building two yesterday too, and you were pointing out, um, the painting basically of Al jr's. First victory in 92, uh, you know, closest finish over uh, Scott Goodyear. Mm. And you're all like, hey, what's that? What's the yellow 27 behind? What's the yellow? And and you're on the spot. You know, I'm there with KOAT. And and you're basically testing me. And uh, (laughs) of course, uh, you know, that's uh, Al Sr. was several laps down in that race.
3: He was 20 seconds back. Nobody remembers this because it was the shootout between Scott Goodyear and uh, Little Al. And Junior told me, he said, my butt didn't touch the seat for the last 10 laps because he was standing up in the car, pressing the gas pedal as hard as he could. And so it was a shootout with those two guys. Al Junior wins by 43 one thousandths of a second, closest finish in the history of the race. Nobody remembers that Big Al was 20 seconds back in third. So had those two guys got into it on one of those final laps, Big Al maybe
1: could have coasted
3: to his fifth Indy 500 win. Wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, just, just tremendous. And. So, talk a little bit about. I mean, you spent some time in the museum. I mean, you've got to spend a lot of time around um, Big Al, and, and you were even commenting that it, it was it was still a surprise. You just you saw him not too long ago. We we were there less than you know j- just around two weeks ago, and we did that virtual car show yeah. at the museum, and. It was surprising. Well,
3: I knew he'd been battling, you know, issues for for years, and really the last couple of years, he had beaten cancer. They thought he had had it licked, and then he came back, and he was battling. And he was up in Colorado getting some treatments here in town as well, spending most of his time in Chama, where you know it was, it, maybe it was meant to be Thursday night, eight inches of snow up there. Ah. I mean, he loves it up there. Yeah. He loves the snowmobile. He'd take take a snowmobile out to go to the to the post office to get the mail every day. It was right. something he liked to do. Um, I was listening to the you know the intro coming back, and you got the you know the Al sound there. Yeah, I've got something on my phone where I was at the museum, and if you don't know, I'm a docent at the museum, which yeah. means I give tours of the yeah. Racy Museum. I've been doing that for a couple of years now. They they shut down for several months during the whole COVID deal. Yeah. but uh, we're back open now, and I'll be over there this morning if you want to come by. I'll give you the personal tour. Awesome. Um, but on my phone, I you know this is how Al is. Okay, I called his number. Didn't answer, which usually he'll pick it up or Susan would answer or something, you know, and he didn't answer. And I said, hey, man, I got a question about this race car here at the museum. I'm sending you a picture of it, you know, but I'm here. So if you can call me, call me. A few minutes later, I missed my phone call. He calls back and he leaves about a a one minute message on my phone. He says, hey, Bob, it's Al. Answer. (laughs) Like (laughs) like I I didn't know, you know, and he says, uh, oh, that's the Eka car. You know, it's a sprint car we have over there. Yeah, and so he gives like a kind of a detailed account of where the car came from, who run it. I mean, that's why right. you know he talked He's like you know Bobby run the car and I, I run it a few times. Like you know, so so I'm I'm gonna surprise somebody at the museum one of these days when we're looking at the car and I say, you know what, Le- I can't describe it as well. Let me have you listen to Al and his description of the race car. Wow. So just having that on my voicemail, being able to call that up, you know, with these phones we have now and all they can do is it's cool to have those kind of messages from people that you appreciate you love you respect whatever it may be that you can just call up your phone and be able to you know listen to that person's voice now that al's gone i can i can call it up and i can remember the conversations we had over the years
1: did did you ever have a conversation with him about um his attempt at a first start at pike's peak
3: I did, yeah, yeah. I had a, because it's it's an interesting story. We exactly. have his Pikes Peak hill climb car in the museum. He built that car from the ground up. He did all the work himself in his garage behind his house. 1959, he shows up at Pikes Peak. He's ready to follow in the footsteps of his famous Uncle Louie, who won you know nine times there. Right. And of course, his big brother, he's Big Al, but Bobby was five years older than him, yep. so he wants to follow in his footsteps. He's a 13-time winner at Pikes Peak. So he builds this beautiful race car, he gets to Pikes Peak, and he shows up all ready to compete and race, and they tell him, you can't race, Al. What? You're not old enough. What? I've got this fake ID right here. What are you talking about? I've used it everywhere, right? You had to be 21. He was only 20 years old, and because the family, his brothers were born in Colorado Springs and and grew up there until the family moved to Albuquerque, and then, you know, they're... Fathers or n- uncles, they grew up there. They raced at Pike's Peak. They knew exactly how old he was. This exactly. young This young answer <laughs> is coming up here to race, to follow him. How old is he? Well, he's only 20. You got to be 21. So couldn't race. That was 59. He goes back in 60. First time he's racing the car, halfway up the mountain, crashes the car. Luckily escapes without serious injury because he went over the side of the mountain, basically. Goes back the following year, crashes the race car again going up the mountain and it was shortly after that that really he told me he started thinking about um, wanting to become a race car driver and not a builder, owner, the guy that had to pay all the money, right, all the bills, right. because he found out that I can't afford this. I'm I'm crashing these cars, and I'm building them, and I, I just can't continue this way. So maybe that was where he detoured off you know, behind-the-scene thing, although he was very intricate with working with the mechanics yeah. and getting the car to perform, but being a, a full-time race car driver and not having to worry about all the other things that go into it.
1: Well and, and maybe that's the benefit of, of, of being the younger brother, right? You get to watch all the struggles and all the other things that the the older brother had done. I see Dan's nodding his head being the older brother yeah. he, he's made a bunch but of mistakes. But I mean Bobby yeah. never
3: made any mistakes, so how could he ah! learn off how could he learn off Bobby's mistakes,
1: right, if Bobby never made any? <laughs> okay, well, we've talked about this. Bobby tries to win the race in turn one, and, yeah. and Al learned, you know, let's just be Protect there at the end, my right? Equipment, sure.
3: Yeah, that was that was his uh, that was his forte, getting to the finish line, taking right. care of his, his his stuff, you know, so he could finish the race. He he always said, you know, everybody knows this. You can't win the race if you don't finish. Bobby wanted to. He wanted to win on the first lap. Evidence of 1963 when he he's driving the Novi Special, very yeah. powerful, supercharged car. Fan favorite. You could hear it inside the track. If you were outside, you just knew that car was on the track because of the distinct sound it made. Yeah. Andy Granatelli was the car owner. Parnelli Jones lined up Bobby for the ride. Parne- uh, Andy Granatelli. The first thing he says to Bobby he says you're not going to crash my race car are you because <laughs> bobby had that reputation you know winner our record right and um he said no i'm not gonna no i'm not gonna do that you know? <laughs> yeah that's you pretty know? good he's, I, so first first lap 1963 indy 500 he passes 11 cars and he's excited because yeah. he's passing cars he feels the power of this Novi special proceeds to back it into the wall and turn three and his race is over, right. but Bobby, Bobby, I believe the only driver to finish last in his first Indy 500 and first in his last Indy 500. Wow,
1: so, wow! Yeah, bringing the stats, Bob. I got to have you hold over because this is just a little taste of uh, the time we've spent at the museum and around the Unzers. So oh, yeah. uh, uh, everybody, stay put. We got to a whole lot more coming up on the other side. You've been listening to the New Mexico Motorsports Report here on ESPN Radio 101.7 The Team. Hi, this is Al Unser,
0: Jr. You're listening to ESPN Radio 101.7, the team. The pit stop is over. Let's return to the New Mexico Motorsports Report on Facebook and at nmmotorsportsreport.com. Now, back to the New Mexico Motorsports Report, presented by Yearwood Performance, Albuquerque Dragway, the Unser Racing Museum, and Swope Real Estate. Here is David.
1: All right, welcome back to the New Mexico Motorsports Report here on ESPN Radio 101.7, the team. And the other day I was I was telling a story about doing a, a banquet for uh, Sandia Speedway. We're at the uh, Unser Racing Museum. Um, I'm, you know, droning on, giving out trophies, and I look over there. Uh, Alice is sitting on the tire uh, of, of one of the race cars, uh, just just hanging out watching. I'm like, why is a four-time Mini 500 winner um, even care what I have to say to a bunch of circle track drivers, you know, that uh, are on the way up? But anyway, a lot of funny things have happened, you know, just hanging around. As a matter of fact, I wanted to, I wanted to share this. Uh, comment before one of the interviews uh when al and i got to talking about a really uh, a serious issue
2: so
3: everything's good i'm here and i made it i didn't get a ticket getting out here so everything's
1: oh. good See. so well that that's kind of funny i mean are, are you still getting speeding tickets <laughs> we all do don't you Doc come uh, on <laughs> oh i like how you answered that uh, uh no uh no answer no comment on that um Fortunately, I've not gotten a speeding ticket, unlike RJ, um, on his way out to the show. Um, I've gotten tickets, of course, uh, several tickets. I don't want to mention any because it's just in case my wife's listening. Uh, but, Bob, um, I mean, you, you've had some some funny moments, you know, uh, probably around Big Al uh what's what's one of those you you kind of like to share did he show up with a speeding ticket you had to <laughs> i leave early
3: so i don't have to speed to get where i'm going okay that's the <laughs> trick
1: you just leave All early. Right. you don't have
3: to speed to get there you you know here, here's one i can top yours where he's sitting there watching you do this yeah. uh, trophy presentation i pull up to the museum a couple of years ago and they used to have an old johnny lightning special yeah. in indy car fake indie car sitting out in front of the museum that the kids or right. parent, even adults could get in and get your picture taken there was part of the Indy 500 uh catch fence and wall up there yeah. you know and uh I'd come driving in there and and Al's out there changing the tire on the damn thing <laughs> I'm like by himself he's jacking this car up he's got the big tire and his pickup trucks backed up next to it I'm like what Are you doing? Why Why are you doing this? He says, Well, you do it now. I was like, Okay, says, what are you gonna say? No, you're, you're doing it right, you know. But it was funny to see him out there actually jacking up this thing and changing the tire out there.
1: You know? Single lug, how, yeah, yeah. How was he changing a single lug? Well, you you have a ol-
3: a, yeah, you take a little hammer thing, you know, ball, peen, hammer deal, or whatever. I mean, okay, I'm sure it's not tightened down like you know, massively tightened or anything. <laughs> That's probably true, it's just on there, but uh, yeah, I mean. All kinds of stories with him. Let me tell you, the uh, when he won in uh, in 19, let me get it right now, it was the uh, Chrysler LeBaron. So that was in 87 when he won his last Indy 500. Right, right. So if you don't know, basically when you win the Indy 500, they give you the pace car. Right. Okay, so you have nine wins with the Unsters. Well, we have five pace cars over at the museum. And in 87, when he won his fourth Indy 500, he, uh, he got the Chrysler LeBaron. Well, he didn't get it originally. He went to Roger Penske and he said, look, my contract says I get all the trophies. And as far as I'm concerned, that's a trophy. So I should get that. (laughs) And so Lee, he, he says, well, Penske says, well, let me call Lee Iacocca, the head of Chrysler and see what I can do. (laughs) And so a couple of weeks later, he gets a phone call. Al does from Chrysler. And the guy says, Hey, I understand you, uh, you want the pace car from the 500. He goes, yeah, I'd love to have it. And he goes, well, uh, we'd like to get it to you. We, we also understand that you have a A museum. And Al says, yeah, that's right. He says, how many cars do you have? And Al says, well, I got about 300 cars. Al didn't have 300 cars. There There was no museum. The museum opened in 2005. This is 1987. The 300 cars that Al told him he had were the 300 cars he had in his junkyard behind his house that he used to build race cars, okay, back in the day. right? And so a few weeks later, The car shows up, and it's sitting in the uh, Unser Racing Museum as we speak.
1: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. There's not 300 cars over there now, even.
3: No. There's probably, I'd say, I was thinking about that the other day, counting them in my head. Probably 45 race cars or... Pace cars or classic cars. And then we have motorcycles as well. Um, So you talk about the speeding tickets and things, you know, I've, I've, I was at the museum day one when it opened and I was there actually when they were building the museum, bringing the cars in and refabricating, reproducing parts of the cars to build the cars back the way they, the way they were when they raced so they could be on display at the museum. And over the course of all those years, you know, I'd be in and out of the museum. When when I was working here at the radio station, wasn't doing too much with the museum then because I had a gig here. Um, But the times I popped in there over the years, I would see different cars because I saw the original cars that were there. And and today, if you went in there, there's probably 25 or 30 percent of the cars that were there on day one are there today. Because museums change out cars for whatever reason it is. So uh, about a year or so ago, this custom van showed up. I was like... (laughs) On the side of it, I mean, it's a custom van. It's nice. Pole winner, 1994 Indy 500. So not only did Junior in '94, you know, win the Indy yeah. 500, he got the pace car, right? Yeah. He got a custom van for sitting on the pole that year. Wow! Like, like you don't have enough, you know? Here, <laughs> like, we'll give you a van since you were the fastest qualifier, which is that's not enough. But here's a van for you. So the the joke was. You know, where did this thing come from? Right? Right. I've known all these cars. I've been to Big Al and Bobby's place. I've never seen this custom van. Oh, it was in storage somewhere, and now it's here at the museum. And somebody says, you know, did they ever drive it? (laughs) Because unless you fire it up, most of these cars, you know, electronics, you can't tell how many miles are on them. Right. Now, Big Al does have Corvette from 1978, the pace car, when he won in 78. Yeah. 25th anniversary of Corvette, so that's a cool car. But that one older car. You can see the miles on the dashboard, 400 miles on this thing. That's all that's on there. Wow. But the, the gist of the van was, ha, ha, you know, where has it come from? Has he, has he driven it? And somebody said, well, no, he hadn't driven it. If he'd driven it, it would have been crashed. <laughs> 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 you know, junior, big Al, Bobby, whoever, they're race car drivers. It's inevitable, right? right? It's going to happen. But uh, that was the, that was the gist of it that, you know, had they driven it? No, they haven't driven it. Had they driven it, he would have seen a, you know, busted fender or something. because race yeah. car drivers they're on the edge
1: yeah and you know i mean for for those of you that you know those are listening that, that don't know you i mean you were with you know koat for years uh did, did a lot of coverage um in regards to that um and you know i just i just think about um what i what i'd like to share just to kind of you know um in this on um on the note is how much he loved albuquerque and New Mexico. I mean, because I, I've gone, you know, I've, I've traveled in Central Europe and say, ah, I'm from Albuquerque, and um, it's still unders, you know? I mean, it's still it's still amazing when you go places. Um, it just, I mean, share... I mean, you know, conversations yeah. you, you've had with him about because you mentioned Chama, I mean, he absolutely, because you know, loves it.
3: He's just he's laid back. He's not yeah. he's not New York. He's not right. hype. He's not all about himself, the cockiness, the arrogance, and you know, my brand and all those kind of things like today's athletes are. He's just no. humble, down to earth guy. That was what made him to me so so cool because he was just a a good guy. You know, he didn't throw this stuff in your face that he was a multi-millionaire and he'd won the Indy 500 four times and he has this great museum and, you know, a house here and a house there and can go anywhere he wants and do anything he wants. He just he just shows up, normal guy, man. He just talks to you about racing and he could uh, he could tell you about, you know, the pit stop, uh, his second pit stop in the Indy 500 in 1971 or something. Right. <laughs> I mean, he he knows details about every race he was in and you're talking about, you know, 50 years of racing, and you're like you, you detail lap by lap. The memory they have of what they have done on the racetrack is just—it's uh, amazing. It really is.
1: Well, and here's here's a, a tweet yesterday from Mario Andretti, uh, one of the top five racers who has ever lived. The kindest, calmest, smartest, toughest, most fun, well liked guy ever. And and I I think that that I mean one coming from Mario, and there definitely was. Uh, it, you know, some competition was going on there, but I, I think it's absolutely right. He he was so kind, so thoughtful. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, he could he could remember uh the most uh most amazing things. And and you mentioned calling him, and most of the time he picked up. Yeah. Uh, because you know I was asked that you know by you know you know um well you know wait, wait, you guys you say your friends, and I'm like well to me the guy that answers your phone call sure. for first and foremost is yeah. a friend, and yeah. and you know. And, and he would he would just pick up the phone. And I, I, think, I, I
3: think I'd think i like to let people know, because they think of the 500s, they think of Big Al and Bobby and, and Junior. But you got to remember, this family went through a lot of tragedy as well. His Uncle Joe right. killed as he was preparing for the Indy 500 in Colorado. He took his car out for a test drive, found him on the side of the road, killed in an accident. They don't know what happened. They don't know why he crashed, but he was killed. And then, let's not forget... Big Al was the youngest of the four boys. Right. His oldest brother, Jerry Jr., killed at the Speedway in 1959 during practice. Spent two and a half weeks in the hospital, suffered burns injuries from the crash, ends up dying. And here's you know Bobby going there four years later, and then you know six years later he's showing up at the track. God knows what their parents were thinking, right? Right, and then you know also 1982, Big Al and uh, and Bobby are prepared to race at Milwaukee get a phone call. His daughter has been killed in a dune buggy accident down in Elephant Butte at the age of 21. So, you know, this is a family that's gone through a lot, but uh, a lot of joyful moments, that's for sure. But uh, yesterday and, uh, you know, the death of Big Al, that's something I I won't forget because he he was a great guy and the world needs great people. And he was one of them.
1: The cool thing is there's a museum over there at 1776 Montano. You can come. You can celebrate his life, the family, all these stories. And you're there. I will be there You're there to give
3: color. Yep. You guys come on down, and I'll... uh Tell us you heard us on the radio and uh, I'll give you the I'll give you the dime tour instead of the nickel tour.
1: Awesome. Well hey, thank you so much. Thank in you on for short having notice. Me, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Keep up the great work, Dave. Thank you so much. Thank you, R J. Thank you, Dan. Uh next week we'll have another New Mexico Motorsports report here on ESPN radio. One oh one seven, the team.